Mysterious Circumstances is an American Crimecast production. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. I'm your host, Justin. Uh, and today we have a listener co-hosted episode. Um... But before we introduce Rachel for the day, I would like to say thank you to the increasingly mad hatter who left a four-star review. Uh, it says, exceptional among peers. It says, I do, you know, good job researching and uh, reasonably well presented. Um, it says, I am amiable, which I appreciate that. Uh, it says, it wouldn't hurt to slow down a little and speak, uh, speak a touch more clearly. I do agree with you there. I do get... Uh, pretty fast paced sometimes i'm really not reading from anything i'm just kind of talking so i forget that you guys need to hear what i'm saying sometimes and i would like to thank Rit, or, uh, robert for making a monthly donation to the podcast i appreciate that good sir but i guess without further ado let's uh introduce rachel and talk about the uh case we're gonna try to get to the bottom of which is the mystery of Lori Erica Ruff, also known as Kimberly McLean. Um, but I guess uh, for right now, I'll go ahead and introduce Rachel. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name's Rachel, and uh, I'm uh, I'm an actor from Southern Pennsylvania, kind of near Harrisburg, and. I got, I got into podcasts because I used to have a really long drive to work, but now I just listen to them at work, and true crime is my absolute favorite topic. <laughs> it's hard not to love true crime, that's for sure. <laughs> it's always that one piece of information you think you can find to solve mm-hmm. everything, you know? But, uh, well, Rachel, I suppose you uh, you want to get us started, I guess? Okay, so, let me get up to the top of my notes here. Um, yeah, so, Lori Erica Ruff, um, she kind of just appeared in Texas. Um, I want to say, was it in 89? Uh, I think, Somewhere around uh, there. early 90s. Yeah, the first time I saw her uh, come up was uh, May 22nd in 1988, when she actually applied to get okay. Becky Turner's birth certificate which we'll get into that one later but, yeah 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 so um she appeared in texas she got her ged while she was there um and then she ended up graduating from the university of texas at arlington with a degree in business administration yes yeah uh, let's say right about uh in 2003 she ended up meeting a gentleman named Blake Ruff uh, at a church, I believe, in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, everything went pretty smoothly, and I think it was within less than a year uh, in 2004. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's either love or money right there. I don't know. <laughs> well, and actually, <laughs> it's interesting to say that, because Blake's family was very well-known uh, and well-liked in in their town and I actually just read something in an article today that they were known for having big elaborate weddings. Ah. So 
for Blake and Lori to do what they did, which was elope to a really small church somewhere else in Texas with the preacher as their only witness. That was kind of a a big surprise for the family. Yeah, I remember. I'm sure they all wanted to be there, too. Oh, I'm sure. I remember hearing that, too, because when uh, Blake's mom wanted to put out the the wedding announcement in the paper, uh, Lori was extremely against that. Um, yeah. And when it came down to, like, talking about her past and anything of that nature, she was very secretive, and, uh, you know, she just, she just would say that her childhood was rough, and that's mm-hmm. really all she would say, so. Yeah, it's the stuff that she did say about her past, which, you know, wasn't much, but I... I read somewhere that she told people she was a hand model. Yeah. And she was obsessed with her hands. Um, Later on, when her mental illness kind of started to come in, she would just sometimes stop talking and stare at her hands. (laughs) And then start off like she never stopped. (laughs) It's so Um, funny, though. It's a a weird thing to claim about your past, but at the same time, who can disprove it? Exactly. And from actually what I read, she was... Uh, five foot ten, a hundred and sixty pounds, yeah. and I guess she had really big hands. So I'm not a hundred percent sure what kind of, like, you know, maybe like a football commercial hand model or something. Of it that seems nature. like she had very like long, extremely long fingers yeah, or something. That's what, and they said it was like really distinguishable, like it was very noticeable. Yeah. So yeah, that's that was kind of weird. And she actually, what she told them that she was from Arizona. I think it was. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, not really any proof. She just kind of magically appeared in 88 there in Texas. But from mm-hmm. from what we could find out, Blake really didn't question anything about her past too much. From From everything I heard and read and watched, it was... He was just a pretty low key go with the go with the flow kind of guy, you know. I yeah, he was he was pretty unremarkable as a human being. <laughs> That's pretty um, much. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what he did as a job. Um, I don't either. I he, couldn't find that. He out. had a twin brother. Yep. And he was very much a follower of basically anyone but himself. Yeah. Um, Definitely not a leader. I found a quote from his brother-in-law that says. He does not have much of an inner monologue or an outer one. <laughs> so it doesn't oh, seem to be much going on upstairs. Yeah, probably not. Seems like a pretty, for lack of a better word, a simple guy. I guess you could say. Which at mm-hmm. the end of the day, you know, it sometimes that's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? Ignorance is bliss, and you know. It's... Well, yeah, especially for. <laughs> For Lori and his marriage to Lori. Uh, yeah. Um, I would, yeah. Things may have blown up a lot sooner if he tried to pry into things. Uh, yeah, and that's that's actually a really good point. I never really thought about that. That probably would have pushed the envelope a little bit quicker than what it got pushed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she went as far as had a lockbox uh, stuffed away in her closet that nobody knew about except for Blake and she told him never to worry about what was in it or look in there and he pretty much said okay yeah 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 and And, you know when she when she told him that she was an only child and yeah her entire family was either dead or out of contact you know I feel like if someone that I loved said something like that 
I'd be like, oh, well, you know, if you want to talk about it, if you want to tell me what happened, I'm, I'm here for you. And he was just kind of like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty much, yeah. It's He really didn't raise any questions, didn't... I don't want to say he didn't care, because, I mean, obviously he cared enough to marry this woman, but I don't know, maybe the sex was really good or something like that. I don't know, <coughs> you know. I hate, I hate saying it that way, but it's like, come on, dude. You know, he literally did not know anything about her past at all. I mean, she went as far, like, her... I can't remember what she said about her mother, but she said her father was a like a former stockbroker that basically lost everything and both yeah, yeah, parents were dead. Yeah. what I read, which is I, I read a theory about that particular statement somewhere um, that she said failed stockbroker so that yeah. by chance if she said it to someone they wouldn't go, oh my uncle works for such and yes. such. You know, what did, what did your dad work for? Uh, so that she could be like, oh, he was he was awful, he was a failure, you wouldn't know. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's a good point right there, actually. I didn't think about that. But, um, I don't know, let's, uh, let's say here in what, about uh, four years after they got married, well, they ended up moving to uh, Leonard, Texas. Uh, her and Blake got a house. Uh, Blake was originally, I believe, from Longview, Texas, which was mm-hmm. 100, 120 miles away from what I from what I could gather. Um, from all accounts, she was not a very sociable person. She was very, yeah. even with the, like neighbors and just people in general, she really didn't talk to anybody too much. Which, I don't know, it's... It's that's pretty weird, but I don't know. Well, even that's... with with her family, like we were talking before we recorded, you know, she married into a very loving family. Yeah. They wanted to know all about her, and you know, she'd just leave in the middle of a party or a gathering, and they'd find her napping in another yeah. room. Yeah, I remember. I remember reading about that too. It's just like okay, you know. I mean, I can understand if somebody's getting day drunk, but. You know, it's like, yeah, let them sleep it off. You know, it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Somebody's drunk. But, but yeah, they said it was pretty random. She just did her own shit pretty much and just didn't really mm-hmm. care about what anybody else thought or what they had to say for the most part. Um, and then, let's see, in 2008, uh, they had a daughter together. And from all accounts, this is when... Uh, shit started hitting the fan pretty much she uh yeah and it you know it could have started she did have several miscarriages before yes yes um they had to go having their daughter they couldn't they didn't have her naturally though they had like what in vitro fertilization right yeah they used ivf which i'm sure can take its own toll on your emotions i'm sure Um, it seems like they only had to go through one try but at the, still, at the same time, it's probably if you want a child and you cannot have a child, it can't be fun. Oh yeah, that's yeah. I yeah, I I couldn't even imagine. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people who want kids pretty bad, and you know the the miscarriages probably didn't help. And yeah. I don't know. It's a lot of that. I guess I don't know. I got a lot of opinions on that, but I think I'm gonna save them for the theories. But um. But yeah, that's when her and the in-laws started not liking each other even more than what they already did. 
I guess. She was very protective of the daughter, I guess. There's stories to where, you know, the daughter would be chewing on something, like a teething ring or something, and she would rip it out of the kid's mouth. She would not let any of her in-laws and, you know, any of her family, like, touch the kid. Uh, Yeah, even though they said she herself seemed very uncomfortable holding her daughter and around her daughter, whereas her her in-laws, I think they said it was... Uh, grandchild number nine yeah. so they had a lot of experience with babies yeah along with the kids you know it's like yeah it's I don't know that was just kind of kind of weird I mean I I don't know I she's just I don't know she seems to me like one of them people who just like should not have children but mm-hmm. apparently they both wanted one bad enough to go as far as in vitro fertilization you know so yeah i'm not sure about all of that uh it is also said that uh Lori was on some medication uh and the sad thing about it is is her husband blake did not know what medication she was on uh he said it was might have yeah. been something for depression something for anxiety he really didn't know I also heard that he had suggested Tourette's or ADHD. Yeah. And those are all so on different parts of the spectrum. Yeah, um, pretty much. And I just thought about this, but what what else could have caused, you know, all this stuff to start happening is when you get pregnant, a lot of times you have to go off all of those medications. Yes. So whatever she was taking for whatever disorder she had it could have been exacerbated by not being able to take those medications that's a very good point it's i didn't think about that afterwards yeah yeah and that's i was kind of wondering about the postpartum thing as well which yeah that too you know i'm not a hundred percent sure i probably should have looked into that i'm not sure how long postpartum could actually last but i mean it can last for a while um I may have seen one mention of it when I was researching, but um, it didn't come up a lot in my research. That's usually what Um, I look for in the research is, like, how many times it's out there. Yeah. You know. Because, I mean, her being uncomfortable holding her daughter could come from that, but it could also be that, you know, she wants to make sure she doesn't hurt her daughter. Or she's never held a baby before. Yeah. Which, yeah, once we get into the story a little deeper, that would definitely make sense. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think Blake and, uh, it was the summer of 2010. He had finally had enough and the two separated, uh, Blake ended up moving back to Longview, Texas and with his parents and she, Lori kept their daughter. And apparently this is when things really started going downhill. Um, she was sending threatening sending threatening emails to the family and stuff of that nature. I really didn't get too many details on any of that stuff. Yeah, I there tried, was a lot available for that. Yeah, it just it just said threatening emails. I'm like, I want to know what she said because at the end of the day, you know, it's it's a sad thing to say. It really is. But at the end of the day, a lot of Lori's story is dependent on Blake's family. Yeah, so, that's true. That is um, one opinion. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. you could say anything you want. You know, it's like yeah. It's and like, I, I read uh, that they uh, actually 
gave her a cease and desist because of those emails. Really? That is interesting. Um, you know, that. well, it was said that the neighbors did report that Lori and the daughter were uh, getting increasingly thinner as if they yeah. were not taking care of themselves and not eating. Um, and I guess on December 24th, Christmas Eve of 2010, Lori drove to uh, to Longview, Texas to her in-laws' driveway and shot herself in the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in her in a, in her black Chevy Tahoe, uh, she had two suicide notes with her. Not really notes, I, I guess they would be more like letters. Uh, one was to uh, Blake, and the other one was to their daughter. Um, I really didn't see. I'm sure they were out there, but I would have probably read if I could have. But from what I heard, like, both of them were pretty much just rambling, like, incoherent ramblings. Yeah, um, I looked through a bunch of comment section interviews they had done with the investigators, and they said that, you know, for the family privacy reasons, they didn't really release those letters. I did read that... The one to the daughter contained a reference to, like, I hope you remember me, and soon we'll be together having tea parties like we used to. And Lori was obsessed with tea parties. I saw that a lot in the research. Um, That was one thing that she and her mother-in-law did do together, is they would get dressed up and go out for tea. Oh, well, that's pretty interesting right there, actually. I did not see that. Yeah, that is pretty nice. Um, but, yeah, I guess uh, after her death, the family having all the questions that they had had before, uh, you know, for the last six or so years, uh, decided to go back to her house in uh, where her and, well, in, uh, in Leonard, Texas. And upon walking inside, it was pretty much... Uh, pigsty, uh, from what I understand. Yeah. It was just dirty laundry everywhere. The the baby's crib was full of uh, shitty diapers and mm-hmm. everything like that. Dishes everywhere, dirty dishes. And then they get to the lockbox in the closet that she had told her husband never to open up. Yeah. And <laughs> I think they... They used a screwdriver and pried that bad boy open. I, like I said, I believe this was a week after she died. I'm not 100% sure, but inside that lockbox was probably some of the most random things you would ever imagine. <laughs> I don't know. We found some pages from an Arizona phone book, uh, some phone numbers from Los Angeles, including a library and one of a bankruptcy law office. Uh, yeah, the library thing was weird. I know, I know. I was like, "What? What are they doing?" And I will post pictures of some of this stuff on uh, on the Facebook page because it's literally just random, really, really random. I mean, to her, obviously, it was not. Um, there was a lot of random notes. Uh, there was one that was upside down in the corner that said either. 402 months or 40 and then a space two months and then uh, they said one of the peculiar things was a lot of this 
little jotting of the notes was in different handwriting as well. They said some of the handwriting didn't match. Yeah, that was, I'm sure we'll get into it in theories, but I did read something about the different handwriting. Mm -hmm. Um, But Lorne definitely kept a lot of notes. One of the things they also mentioned about her house that was in disarray was there were papers with scribblings everywhere. And if she ran out of room, she'd just write over what she had just written. That is, which kind of shows like, her state of mind a little bit, I think. Yeah, that's like, I don't even want to say borderline OCD, but that's just kind of, I don't know, that's very, very odd. Yeah. Um, but what they also did find in that lockbox was a birth certificate for uh, a woman named Becky Sue Turner who was born in 1969 in Bakersfield, California, and died at the age of two in Fife, Washington, um, in a house fire along with two of her other siblings. There's actually four siblings in that family. One survived, from what I understand. Um, They also found an Idaho picture ID card with Becky's name on it, but it also had Lori's photo on it. When we get to the whole Becky Turner thing, I guess, which which is where we are, that that's that's when all the questions started coming out. Like, who who in the hell is Lori Erica Ruff, really? Yeah. And since 2010, this has been everywhere as like one of the better one of the better mysteries around. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. But I guess where we get to Becky Turner is, is apparently uh, on May 22nd, 1988, somebody requested Becky Turner's birth certificate. Now, they didn't really keep records of who asks for this stuff. They just keep records of when they send it out. And it was sent out to a P.O. box. Um... They Then they start looking into Lori Ruff's past, which her supposed maiden name was Lori Kennedy. Um, and timeline-wise, it's kind of weird because uh, on May 22nd, 1988, is when she supposedly requested Becky Turner's birth certificate. And mm-hmm. on June 5th, 1988, is when she actually went in... Or July 5th, 1988, is when she went in front of the judge in Texas to request a name change from Becky Turner to Lori Kennedy. So she basically yeah, switched her identity twice within like Well, two and it's it's very interesting cuz I don't know about name changes so much, but in our post 9/11 world, yeah. Not so much of this could not have happened. Like you just can't they used to send birth certificates out to anyone who needed them. Um Obviously, believing that they were using them for good purposes, but Uh, anybody could get a birth certificate. She got a ton of driver's licenses under all these names. Like, I just can't imagine that happening these days. Yeah, it's pretty hard to believe because literally after, right after she got that birth certificate, she went to Idaho, requested a social security card, um... Got that, got the picture photo ID from Idaho, then she went to Texas, and this is literally within, like, a month and a week, like, five weeks, and got her name changed from Becky Sue Turner to Lori Kennedy, and they, you know, we'll get to more of this in the theory section, but 
what it is is a lot of the questions come up why why would it be you know Becky Sue Turner of all people from a different state nobody she ever had any connection with and there basically there's a lot of suggestions that she actually went to an identity broker which is somebody who basically gets you a new identity for a set amount of, you know set amount uh and from what I understand, like back in the late 80s, like you were saying before, before 9-11 happened, you know, it seemed a lot, a lot easier for this stuff to happen. The whole identity, the identity stuff and what it is, is Becky Sue Turner being born in California and having died in Washington, it makes it almost, that's when states stop tracking birth certificates mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it was actually really easy. And I'm not sure um, who we'll refer to as, as Lori Kennedy now, or Lori Ruff. I don't understand how she would actually have the knowledge of that, to be perfectly honest. Well, yeah, and actually, um, whether she went through an identity broker or whether she planned this out in the lockbox was also information about um, <sighs> Becky Sue Turner's death. Yeah. So... Whoever found this information, they did their homework yeah. about this little girl. Yeah, they did. And uh, uh, what was it? Blake Ruff's family. I mean, they were hiring private investigators. They had an investigator mm-hmm. from the Social Security Administration. I mean, they had they had a lot of people trying to crack this one. And it actually, what it came down to was was one woman who, in my opinion. Um, I don't know how much you read about uh, Colleen Fitzpatrick, but mm. her whole... Uh, I remember the name. Oh, yeah, her whole... Uh, she was the one who eventually found out the actual real identity of uh, Lori Kennedy, Lori Ruff, uh, right, yeah. whatever you want to refer to her as. It's just it's just really weird. Like, the... No matter, and I mean, just so all the listeners do know, this this case is solved, but it's not because there is still a lot of questions on why all this went down the way it did. And she didn't only change her identity once; she changed it twice. You know? Yeah, and one of the <laughs> weirdest things that I came across was when she was getting her Texas license. I believe under the name Lori. Um, but even when she was getting the Becky Sue one, she changed her birthday, but only by like a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I can see not wanting to take a huge leap in age, but the only thing I can think of is that rather than saying she was 21, she said she was 19. Yeah. And I know that back then teenagers could still get social security numbers yes they could so maybe she figured i'll make myself a teenager yep. and then i can get a new one otherwise why would you shave a year and a half off your age like I, go big or go home uh pretty much yeah i mean if i i'm 36 now if i could do it again i'd be like 24 you know it's like all right, right starting yeah. this starting this story over man let's go yeah I don't know with that whole thing it just raises so many questions like how would she I mean did she really put in the time to like research all these all this stuff you know what I mean like how would she know just right offhand that 
you can still get social security numbers as long as you're a teenager. And then along with the whole, you know, maybe it was a coincidence getting a, an identity that was born in one state and died in another at the age of two. I don't know. I mean, there was reports of her, you know, after they found out who she was, there's reports of her. There's about two years that was missing to where they I was have... just going to bring that up, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why this is still a mystery, even though we know who she is now, because we still don't know what she was doing from 86 to 89 or 88. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I mean, uh, she when she actually got into college, she supposedly did have a boyfriend then um but he got tired of her being so secretive and weird about shit and they ended up breaking up and he this was in the early 90s i believe because it was from his accounts that they found out that she actually had had breast implants and had a job as a stripper Mm -hmm. at some point in time in the early 90s which i don't know how well a five foot ten stripper with big hands does (laughs) Yeah, I probably wouldn't be tucking too many bucks, but that's just me. It's just all so random and weird. Uh, There's reports of her being in various places in California, of course, Idaho. Nobody knows how long she was in Idaho uh, before she actually went to get her photo ID and all that stuff. And then there's reports of her living in Las Vegas, too, supposedly. Which yeah. I'm not. I'm not really. I still didn't find any like credible sources, you know, for that information in particular. But I mean, obviously, yeah. we do know she was in Idaho and probably more than likely California at some point in time. But but I guess that uh, gets us to in 2013 here. Uh, a woman named Colleen Fitzpatrick, who was a nuclear physicist and forensic uh, genealogist, she had read about this case and actually decided to work on it. She wanted to, to try to find out who who Lori Ruff really was through DNA, and uh, they ended up contacting uh, another investigator, which... For the life of me, I should have wrote down this guy's name, but I cannot remember. I think it was Joe Velling. Yes, yes. Yep, that's exactly what it was. And they found out that through what they did was they took DNA from Lori Ruff's daughter. And they took that DNA and they separated Blake's DNA out of it. And then they used this DNA and cross-referenced it, which you actually can do... Um, through Ancestry.com and then, I mean, obviously more, you know, credible, you know, places than Ancestry.com. Yeah, they did 23andMe, too, which I know has just become really big. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, my, uh, my dad did the whole thing through Ancestry and, I mean, we got, we can track our family tree all the way back, but it's, you know, they told him we were trying to get back past the uh, 1700s and all they said was oh your family's of European heritage it's like really <laughs> you know no shit my dad's like oh I paid a hundred Christ I could have told you that for a hundred bucks man kidding yeah. me but uh, but yeah they ended up narrowing it down there were there were a lot of DNA samples from what would have been I suppose distant relatives 
So in the process of trying to narrow it down, according to Colleen Fitzpatrick, there was a very, very good chance that she was from the Philadelphia area. So right. the the PI goes to Philly. He uh, contacts who would be her uncle, who is a man named Tom Cassidy, and he lays... The uh, P.I. lays all these pictures on the table, and after 30 years, her uncle actually identifies her as Kimberly McLean, who was born on August or October 16th, 1968, in uh, the Philadelphia area. I believe she originally res- uh, resided in a town called Winecote. Um, her- Wincote, and this Wincote. is where it gets creepy. I went to college there. Oh, yeah? So, when I was doing this research, I was getting super creeped out because, (laughs) like, from Bishop McDevitt High School, which we'll get to in a second, they were at the bus stop outside of my apartment every day. That is awesome. It was so so weird. (laughs) And, you know, I I listened to the story on another podcast, but I guess I missed that part or something. It was really weird. I know where all these places are. Oh, that is great, though. That's the best part, though, is, like, the personal the personal touch, you know, what I mean with a story. It's just, like, I don't know. That's that's what gets me sometimes. Um, yeah. But, yeah, she was born to uh, James and Deanne McLean. And, supposedly, her parents divorced in her, I believe, early teens, and uh, her mother ended up remarrying a gentleman named Robert Becker. And yeah, it seems like both of her parents remarried fairly quickly. Yeah. after the divorce. Yeah, I kind of noticed that too, which was a little a little odd. Um, she ended up moving her and her her I believe she had a sister, and then her mom and her new stepdad ended up moving. Uh, and in the fall of 1986, at the age of 18 years old, apparently uh, Kimberly McLean, who would be known as Lori Erica Ruff, decides to leave home. She tells her mom never to look for her, uh, don't bother ever trying to look me up, and took off, and they never saw her again. Um, you know, yeah, her, and, um, her mom was, I was still reading alive. some stuff on the Bishop McDevitt um, High School alumni page, and it sounds like she didn't graduate from high school. Because um, huh. I had assumed the reason she got her GED is because she switched identities, but it sounds like she never got her high school diploma. Huh. Well, I suppose. Well, I mean, in order to get a GED back then, you didn't even need transcripts. So, I mean, the the train of thought, though, the train of thought, though, like, is right. Because, I mean, if you're going to switch identities, why in the hell are you going to try to get transcripts from, you know, somebody else's name or whatnot? Because that's why I figured she got her GED, too. You know, I was like, well, she probably graduated high school and got out of Dodge, you know, and then... You know, she had to do it all over again as somebody else. Yeah. But, yeah, her, uh, you know, her mom actually was still alive when it came down to it. I believe she was in her early 80s or 80 years old, something right, of that yeah. nature, yeah. You know, one of the one of the only real things that I read on why she left was because 
she just couldn't adjust to her mom's new marriage, which, you know, new school, new town, they had moved after she had married her new husband. But the thing about it is, is, like, that was, like, in her early teens. Yeah, was it, like, four years? Three yeah, years? it's like... That's a long time. Yeah, that's a long time. Like, if she was going to be a runaway, why not just do it when you're, like, 15 or something? I didn't... I don't get right. that. Right, and... Um, you know, her mom was talking about her childhood and how it seems to have been pretty great. You know, yeah. they ate dinner together every night, they yeah. had vacations, day trips. Um, now, I don't know if her mom would say, like, oh, Kimberly was a brat. Yeah. <laughs> because, she, you know, maybe dead. she doesn't want to sully her daughter's name, but <laughs> it doesn't sound like Kimberly was a terrible child for it, the most part. It doesn't either, to be honest with you. That's. I don't know, me personally, like, even though we know her identity, like, I want to know why she left, because if she can't adjust to her mom's new marriage and school in a new town, I don't see somebody waiting, like, three or four years in order to do that. And then... Right, and it's interesting because I had read some theories about her, you know, being a daddy's girl, and what is the reason why she couldn't move with her dad? Yeah, and you you had mentioned... what was her dad doing? Yeah, you had, dad was still alive. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. You had said he had died, like, fairly early on or something like that, I think, right? Yeah, he died in 87, okay. but, you know, what was the reason that for two or three years she couldn't have lived with him? Yeah, that's... I'm not getting that either. That's part of it for me. I mean, I just... That and how did she get the knowledge, like me and you were talking about earlier, how did she get the knowledge to get the perfect identity to literally and then change it twice within like a month you know and bam i mean she's off the grid has a new identity and literally until she died and like they opened up this fucking lockbox nobody had any idea you know yeah and i think that's where the time period helps again because you know these days you want to find your old friend from high school, you Facebook them. Or oh, yeah. you, you know, there's so many ways to track people down these days. And, you know, she runs away in the late 80s. How are they going to find her? Exactly. You know, if she, she's probably not in the phone book if she doesn't want to be found. Exactly. And that's, I don't understand why she would literally go to the trouble of changing her name once, let alone twice. Like, if she didn't want to be her part of her family's life, she could have just literally moved across the country, kept an yeah, unlisted number, and nobody ever would have found her. That's yeah, the part that doesn't really, make sense. She took the time to tell her mom, don't find me. Yeah. I, you know. Yeah. She could have, like you said, she could have just left, but she took that time to pointedly say, <laughs> do not come looking for me. I know. I do not get it. I really don't. I mean, it, it makes it so much more interesting and raised so many more questions because I mean she obviously wanted to wait until she was 18 years old legal adult Mm -hmm. and I mean that could be some of it because then she couldn't be forced to come back if she was found as a runaway I don't know it's just really mind boggling I I guess I don't know what the you know policies were back then but then she could get her own apartment get a job yeah she was already 18. You know, whereas if she ran away when she was 15, who knows where she would have ended up. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing about it, too. Like, she was already 18. 
she could have just yeah. moved and done her own shit and just like mm-hmm. not re- you know just decided not to talk to her family and never talk to her family again I don't understand why she yeah, went through all that trouble something that just occurred to me is it may just not have been mentioned in an article, but it seems like she only told her mother and her stepfather to not look for her. Yeah, and that right her there... Dad, and I mean, we talked about her dad a little bit yeah. before we started recording. I'm sure we'll get into it in the theories, but she may have still been talking to her dad. I, You know what? That's that's a good point. She might have. And like you, you had mentioned, you know, maybe he was one of the ones that had helped her you know like get out of dodge and because she had to have had some kind of money you know to at least if if not like get out of dodge and do the stuff herself she at least had to have money to pay somebody to get her new identity for her and some kind no, of money to get away yeah yeah just to even live on her own because, you know, they didn't say, like, oh, when Kimberly was growing up, she worked part-time in a pizza shop. I didn't see anything about yeah, I didn't any either. kind of job. I did not either. Like, I really didn't even see too much about any kind of, like, extracurricular activities at all. I would have liked to know what her parents did for a living, including her stepdad, to be honest with you. I would have liked yeah. to find more information, more background information on her stepdad. Because when we get to the theories, I... You know, I'm probably going to pull the stepdad card out. Yeah, I hate yeah. saying it, but... Um, I know that her mom was a stay-at-home mom, obviously, when she yeah. was kids. I don't yeah, know I she heard did beforehand. that, yeah. And her biological dad was a carpenter, but yeah, I didn't find anything in the stepdad. Yeah, he was, a, he was a carpenter and something else I can't remember. He, uh, a volunteer fighter. Yeah, that's right, because they said when she was younger... You know, they would get rides on the uh, fire trucks. And then uh, he, apparently, you know, being a carpenter, they probably had, like, the most badass tree house in town. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, I mean, and that goes along with, I mean, I guess when you have a somewhat happy childhood from all accounts, I guess a divorce might, you know, mess you up a little bit. But waiting four years... You know? Well, and especially, you know, in some ways, you know, if your parents get divorced when you're little, it can be harder because you're young and you don't know what's going on. Maybe if they get divorced when you're older and you do understand, it could be worse. I don't know. That's true. Um, That's true. But also, someone online had proposed that, you know, her parents got divorced, that messed her up for whatever reason. So when Blake served her the divorce papers... She just, like, flipped out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that... She pretty much based her whole life around a fake identity. And, like, we were talking earlier, you know, before recording, it's just like, you know, when when your real birthday comes up, you know, and you can't... It's just another day, you know? And it's like living the pressure of, like, living a lie for so long... And just not being able to talk about it, which that's, you know, that's, I still don't get that. Like, why couldn't yeah, she talk about it? If she, if she did have the good home life that has been proposed, you know, it's one thing if you come from a bad home where your birthday comes and goes and no one acknowledges you. But if you grow up and you have birthday parties or family dinners on your birthday, when you don't have that on October 
16th anymore. Exactly. Like, that's got to be sad. It is kind of sad, you know, because that's like your, you know, the formative years of your life. That's been like your day, you know. And, yeah. You know, it's just, she literally has like a pretty big family. Like, she has a lot of cousins mm-hmm. and everything. They were all still alive. Because that's who they ended up contacting. They ended up contacting yeah. one of her cousins first. And then they skipped over him and went to uh, his dad, who was actually Tom Cassidy. And mm-hmm. he's the one who actually identified her and uh, told the story of, of how everything went down. And they couldn't believe she was alive. I mean... Yeah. I mean, obviously she had just died, but they they always wondered what happened to her. She was always just basically like a missing person. And... I mean, this is after they they tried, when she died, they tried running, doing facial recognition. They tried doing mm-hmm. prints. She was in no database whatsoever. And that includes, like, people from the government. Blake Ruff's yeah. family had connections with, like, a governor or something like that, or a senator or something like that. Yeah, and it's obviously part of the reason she didn't show up in any system is because even though she switched her identity so often she is not considered a criminal. She was ne- She never had any criminal run-ins. Exactly. Obviously, as an identity thief, she is a criminal. Yeah. But ignoring that, you know, she never robbed a bank. She never, you know, killed somebody, anything like that. So yeah, that's, that's not what she was running away from. Exactly, and that's, I guess, with, with that statement right there, she was not running away from any criminal activity that we know of. I say we jump into some theories here. Sure. So, so what do you think, Rachel? First of all, before she was identified, there were a lot of different theories out there. Uh, oh, sex yeah. rings and Russian spies. Oh, and, yeah, that was the best. Know, that was the best one. Stuff. And it's so funny now <laughs> that, like, when you actually know who she is, and I mean, don't get me wrong, that does not solve the mystery at all, but, but knowing who she is, like, hearing some of the uh, some of the theories, man, is so great. Yeah. Um, now, with those missing two years, she could have still been in a cult or, you know, in an abusive relationship or whatever. That is true. Um, one theory that I did read about is that, as I mentioned, she may have still been in contact with her biological father. Yeah. And with you bringing up the uh, identity broker, is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah. So she had told people who asked her what her father did when she was under different names, that he was a failed stockbroker. Yeah. Broker Part of that could have been she just didn't want someone to question her on it and say, you know, oh, my uncle works for this company. What does your dad do? But perhaps he was actually an identity broker. Yeah. And he helped her get, you get know, these identity. different identities. Or at the very least, she was just in contact with him when she was gone. And, and then yeah. when all the shit hit the fan earlier in her life, in the late 80s, her father had died in 1987. So, you know, it's possible that her father dying just flipped some sort of switch and she said, I can't deal with this anymore. And then she threw away her old life. Seems kind of an extreme reaction, but at the same time, you know, acting that way towards your parents' divorce at 18 is also kind of an extreme reaction. It is too, especially after they had been divorced for a few years, you know, at the, at the yeah. least. I mean, that that kind of runs in with mine. Like like we were saying, it's like there's there's so many things I don't understand. Like, as an adult, 
you can literally walk away from your family and never talk to them again. And, I mean, you can go as far as getting restraining orders on them if you wanted to. Yeah. That way they can literally never talk to you again. But she went yeah. and, and she changed her identity not once but twice, moved, moved around a lot. But what was she, like, trying to get away from? And personally, I don't know. I don't think the relationship with her stepdad was a very good one. I think it might have not been a very healthy relationship. Maybe he maybe changed her mom a little bit. And then you always have the, yeah, the you know, the, the sad theory about maybe he had in, at some point in time molested her. And she went to her mom about it. Her mom basically told her, he, you know, hey, you're a liar. There's no way he would do that, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, that's pretty, I don't want to say a far-fetched theory, but there's only so many reasons that somebody would go that far out of their way when they didn't need to, to get away. Yeah. You know. And some people that I was reading online, that was run, one reason they were upset that the investigators had linked her daughter to her family because some people said, what if there was a reason that she ran away from her family and now her daughter, who's still not even 10 years old, is, you know, with her grandmother. Yeah. And, you know, who knows why Kimberly didn't want her to be there. You know, her, her mom can say, we had this great childhood all she wants, but is it true or not? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's it's hard telling, and, I, you know, it just raises so many questions, especially, you know, the the child factor, you know, like like you were saying, you know, maybe when she got pregnant, she had to get taken off some meds, and maybe, she, you know, there's a good chance she wasn't, you know, healthy mentally from the get-go. You know, when you, when you go through some traumatic stuff, you know, early on in your formative years, you know, maybe around the you know, the puberty stages or whatnot, you know, that can seriously mess you up in the head. And I'm not talking about, like, divorce. I'm talking, you know, some more serious stuff. You know, that can really, like, set the pace for your entire life, you know? And I I don't know. I mean, it's just... It just bothers me that she thought she had to go to that extent to just get away. Yeah, and I think really no... Almost no matter what theory we've gone through already, I think mental illness can play a big part in any yeah, of them. Yeah, I agree. Um, because, you know, she changes her identity so many times. She has such strong reactions. She changes from, you know, being totally fine to be angry in a second. Just a randomness. I was reading, yeah. and I was reading on Web Sleuths, there was a user called Nancy Hogan who said that Kimberly's behavior reminded her of her own daughter, who was schizophrenia. That's what I was um, going to throw said, out. Nancy said, my daughter has made up a childhood of depravity and pain, including a horrible hovel where we lived, to the point where someone went and checked it out, and they lived in this beautiful house. So, I was, you know, it could have just made her really paranoid. That's, yeah, I was going to throw the schizophrenia card out there because it just, the paranoia factor, the the changing of the identity you know, twice within like five or six weeks and and going to that extent to get away. And it's like, obviously you are trying really hard to get away from something. You're not just running away. You're trying to hide from something. You know what I yeah. mean? And 
the the level of paranoia there is just pretty interesting. I just I I would like to say, and I I'd hate to use the word like, but I would like to think that you know she had really really good reasons for it. And, you know maybe her you know father passing away did push her over the edge, but it still you know raises the questions of why and how did she get the knowledge that she did to change her identity the way she did like i that that just bugs the hell out of me it really does because i mean yeah she could probably go maybe that's what she was doing in la with the numbers to the library you know maybe she was Mm -hmm. maybe she did her research i don't know i mean she spent time in california and that you know that part is documented but you know and then you know the random numbers of bankruptcy attorneys you know it's yeah. just, it's just um, really Oh, that, that reminds me that the, the numbers on the paper, someone had suggested online that perhaps the 402 months is yeah. counting up the number of months towards some sort of statute of limitations. You know, perhaps if her stepfather did abuse her, that statute of limitations, maybe for identity theft. Yeah. Because um, she obviously, she knew what she was doing. She knew what um, she was doing. She was... So, you know, maybe that was some sort of calculation going okay when is when is this not a crime anymore that's a really really good question i don't know i i honestly have like everything that you've ever read you know about this case actually getting quote unquote solved you know oh you know like the actual facts of it are not as sensational as a lot of the theories because they're like Oh, she wasn't, you know, involved in some criminal organization. You know, she wasn't this and she wasn't that. But in all actuality, like, to me personally, it just raises more questions and, like, gives a little bit more mystery to it because, yeah, we found out who she really was, but we are so far from, like, figuring out why she did what she did. And that's, I don't know, that's to me that's personally like the new mystery of it it's it's not solved i mean her identity part is solved but <laughs> you know the the mystery is still extremely intriguing yeah I, I hope that one day we'll get to know kind of what's going on behind the scenes because you know they have those the suicide letters they have you know they did dna testing with her mom to make sure they matched yeah um there's obviously so much more than the public knows. Yeah. And I'd be really interested to know what that is. I Same here. I would really love to know, like, what deep, dark little secrets caused, like, this this lady to literally do what she did. And, I don't know, just the aftermath of it's pretty crazy. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you got, you know, an ex-husband that, you know, seems pretty pretty simple. You know, and he's there. He's probably getting bludgeoned. Oh, we found out who your ex-wife. You know, who your ex-wife, and he's probably just like, eh. you know, like, <laughs> you know, not a care in the world. But I mean, at the end of the day, he's still got a daughter that he has to think about too. Yeah. You know, and that's that's another thing. Like, you know, there's still a person involved. This is like somebody's mother. Mm-hmm. It's just very, very interesting, I guess. But I don't know. With that being said, I actually have no no contribution to any great theory, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty interesting, and I guess that's what I like 
doing with the podcast sometimes is like everybody can take all your facts and you guys can form your own theories and I'm sure I'll definitely get some. I'll get probably hit up in the group or on the page or something or some emails with, with some theories or new information, but but I don't know. Is there anything you'd like to uh to add, Rachel? No, I think I that's everything. Alright. I would think so too. Well, before we say goodbye, I'd like to say for all of you who don't know, you can always stop by the Facebook page or the Facebook group. Obviously, you type in Mysterious Circumstances. It's pretty easy to find. You know, the Facebook group is a little bit more active. We always have people posting stuff in there and all all kinds of good stuff. So, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Anybody can follow me on Instagram. Whatever's clever. But, I guess, uh, thank you very much, Rachel, for for doing this episode you did a phenomenal job you did amazing thanks it was really fun i know right it is pretty fun like it's kind of nerve-wracking like at first but once you get all loosened up and get going it's good to go you know yeah all right well thank you very much rachel again i appreciate it and i suppose for all you listeners i will see you next week with a with a brand new mystery and until then i will see you guys on the flip side